Fusion, the international science radio show. We have a bouncer and the doors of perception. The good, the bad, the ugly. It gets pretty exciting. The myths, the truths. Toxicology. Astro seismology. Magnetism. The dark side. Genetically engineered potatoes. Planetoid. Planetoid. I love that word. <laughs> <laughs> Hello and welcome to Diffusion. Sit back and relax while we renew your brain with weird and wonderful science. I'm Ian Wolfe. In this episode, we look into the remarkable achievement of successfully transplanting most of a face, including an eyeball. But first, here's news of a spice for life. Cinnamon for longer life, in worms. Researchers at the Buck Institute have found a new drug-like molecule that extends lifespan and heals disease in worms, and boosts function in the muscle cells of mammals. They call it MIC, M-I-C. The new compound works by improving the removal of broken energy-producing parts of cells, the mitochondria. Autophagy, self-eating, is when cells eat badly functioning or dead parts of the cells to clear them away from clogging up the body and inducing inflammation. Mitophagy is when cells clear up defective mitochondria. The research was done with the roundworm beloved of researchers, Canorhabditis elegans. This tiny worm is especially attractive to brain researchers because it only has 300 neurons making it easier to model and understand on the way to working out what happens in humans with our 86 billion neurons. The Buck Institute in California is the world's first biomedical research institution devoted solely to research on ageing, established in 2003. Everything they do revolves around their commitment to helping people live better longer. When the removal of faulty mitochondria goes wrong, you get many age-related diseases. This failure to remove faulty mitochondria has been connected to neurodegenerative disorders such as Parkinson's disease and Alzheimer's disease. The breakdown of this clean-up process plays a role in heart disease, metabolic disorders, muscle wasting and cancer. No treatment that restores mitophagy and facilitates the elimination of damaged mitochondria has been approved for human use despite advances in the field. There's nothing. MIC, the new mitophagy-inducing compound discovered at the Buck Institute, is a coumarin, which are naturally bioactive compounds that have anticoagulant, antibacterial, antifungal, antiviral, anti-cancer and anti-hyperglycemic properties. Coumarins are also an antioxidant with neuroprotective effects. Coumarin is found in many plants, and it's found in high concentrations in certain types of cinnamon, which is one of the most frequent sources for the exposure of people to the substance. The project started in a mouse model of Parkinson's disease, where researchers were looking at known enhancers of mitophagy, including the drug rapamycin. They started screening natural compounds in neuronal cells, and MIC came up as a major hit. 
Rather than taking MIC immediately into a mouse model, they decided that they needed to understand its impact on aging overall and identify how it worked. So instead, they took it into the worm. MIC turned out to belong to a class of molecules that enhances the expression of a key transcription factor protein, TFEB. TFEB is a master regulator of genes involved in autophagy and lysosomal functions. Lysosomes are organelles in cells that produce digestive enzymes that allow cells to destroy viruses, bacteria and damage parts of cells. Autophagy is the intracellular recycling process which is how cells clean up damaged proteins. Researchers found that MIC robustly increased the lifespan of the tiny worms while also preventing mitochondrial dysfunction in mammalian cells. The new MIC drug works by inhibiting activation of a nuclear hormone receptor, which in turn induces mitophagy and extends lifespan. TFEB was found to be present in brain neurons. The hormone receptor is naturally regulated by bile salts, which are formed in the gut microbiome. Aging impacts our microbiome and therefore our ability to regulate the hormones that control the body's removal of faulty mitochondria. Neurons have a lot of mitochondria, which makes mitophagy important to the diseases of neurodegeneration. Experiments are now underway to explore neuronal TFEB receptors as a therapeutic target for Alzheimer's disease. MIC is a good candidate for a drug therapy that protects against damage to the body's ability to remove cellular waste due to aging, an anti-aging drug. Due to the direct links between mitophagy and aging, drugs enhancing this cleanup could offer treatment well beyond neurodegeneration or even muscle wasting to better overall health and resistance to some of the diseases of aging. Can eating cinnamon help you eat yourself to live better longer? More research is needed. The paper was titled a drug-like molecule engages nuclear hormone receptor DAF12-FXR to regulate mitophagy and extend lifespan, and was published in the journal Nature Aging. Cinnamon spices up learning and memory. A team of researchers from Berjand University of Medical Sciences in Iran has completed a meta-analysis of prior research papers reporting cinnamon consumption could help reduce or prevent memory loss and improve learning. The researchers identified 40 studies that focused on the benefits of cinnamon consumption for learning and memory. Of those 40, 33 were conducted in vivo, in a living organism, and 5 were conducted in vitro, in glass, in the lab. The final two were clinical studies on actual people. The researchers found, reported in the in vivo experiments, cinnamon and its components, including cinnamic acid, eugenol, and cinnamaldehyde, had a positive effect on cognitive function. From the in vitro studies, the researchers discovered adding cinnaldehyde or cinnamon to the cell medium increased cell viability while reducing Alzheimer's-associated tau aggregation and amyloid beta. The two clinical studies focused on cinnamon consumption in young adults and pre-diabetic adults below the age of 60. Young adults were instructed to chew sticks of cinnamon gum, while the pre-diabetic adults consumed 2 grams of white bread laced 
with cinnamon. Young adults who chewed cinnamon gum reported improved cognitive and memory function and a reduction in anxiety symptoms. However, the pre-diabetic participants had little to no change in cognitive function after consuming the cinnamon bread. While the researchers across the papers found that cinnamon and its compounds seem to have a beneficial effect on cognition and learning, they state that more research is needed. They hope future studies will focus on the impact of cinnamon on the brain with an aim to investigate its potential to slow cognitive impairment and improve overall brain health. Of course, how much cinnamon you actually need to get a benefit is yet to be determined. The meta-analysis was titled Cinnamon and Cognitive Function, a Systematic Review of Preclinical and Clinical Studies, and was published in the journal Nutritional Neuroscience. Eyeball transplants. Surgeons have successfully transplanted an entire eyeball and kept it alive and healthy as part of a partial face transplant. The team of more than 140 surgeons, nurses and other healthcare professionals at the New York University Langone Health spent 21 hours in surgery. The transplanted eye is alive and healthy five months after the transplant in May 2023. The surgery included transplanting the entire left eye and a portion of the face from a single donor. The man who received the transplant can't yet see through the new eye, and it's unknown if he ever will. It's possible his new eye will only have cosmetic benefits, but those are pretty big benefits. Aaron James, from Hot Springs, Arkansas, survived a massive 7,200 volt electric shock while working as a high voltage linesman in June 2021, when his face accidentally touched a live wire. Despite multiple reconstructive surgeries, James had massive injuries that included the loss of his left eye, his dominant left arm from above the elbow, his entire nose and lips, front teeth, left cheek area, and his chin down to the bone. After the injury, surgeons were forced to remove James' left eye due to severe pain. His medical team recommended that the optic nerve be cut as close to the eyeball as possible to preserve as much optic nerve length to keep his options open, including the hope of a potential transplant. This began the discussion on the possibility of including an eye with the new face, something that's never been attempted before. Given that Aaron needed a face transplant and will already be taking immunosuppressive drugs for the rest of his life, he the surgeons and his family decided that the risk versus reward ratio of transplanting the eye was very low. Even if the eye never sends any images back to Aaron's brain, from a cosmetic standpoint, the transplant is still a remarkable achievement. 
In May 2023, just three months after James was listed for organ donation, coordinators from New York's organ transplant agency identified a potential donor at another hospital in New York City. After a series of donor evaluations, including tests to determine if the donor eye was healthy and viable, the donor was deemed ideal for James. The total time from injury to transplant was a little under two years. While transplants of corneas have become relatively common, successful whole eye transplants to restore vision have never been done because of the complex nature of the eye and the difficulties with nerve regeneration, immune rejection and retinal blood flow. The human eye is intricately connected to the brain through the optic nerve, part of the central nervous system and responsible for transmitting visual information to the brain. Re-establishing these nerve connections successfully is a fundamental requirement for a whole eye transplant to restore vision, and one of the biggest challenges. To help improve the chances that the nervous connection between Aaron's optic nerve and the optic nerve of the donor will be successful, the surgeons decided to add adult stem cells taken from the donor's bone marrow to the transplant. Bone marrow is a sponge-like tissue found inside the large bones in the body. Adult stem cells that are transplanted can work as a replacement therapy and natural repair crew, dividing again and again to create healthy cells that replace the damaged or dysfunctional elements. This is the first attempt of injecting adult stem cells into a human optic nerve during a transplant in the hopes of enhancing nerve regeneration. The surgeons chose CD34 positive stem cells, which are a type of stem cell that's been shown to have the potential to replace damaged cells and also protects nerve cells. During the transplant, bone marrow was harvested from the donor's vertebra and processed before the operation to isolate the CD34 positive stem cells. These stem cells were brought into the operating room and injected into the optic nerve of the recipient. The team have now demonstrated that the procedure is safe and potentially efficacious, but it will take time to find out if this step plays a role in enhancing the chance of restoring sight to the transplanted eyeball, and if there's anything further they can learn to do in the future to improve the procedure. It's the first time. The operation used three-dimensional computer surgical planning along with the patient-specific 3D cutting guides, which enable the precise alignment of bones and the optimal placement of the implantable plates and screws. This intricate approach allowed them to quickly fit the grafted partial face and whole left eye onto James before the organs lost too much circulation. The successful surgery took place in New York University Langon's Kimmel Pavilion where expansive operating rooms enable two highly skilled surgical teams to simultaneously operate in both the donor and recipient rooms. The surgical teams kept to a carefully planned timetable, which was rehearsed many times over the last year, as the team proceeded with the transplantation and reconstruction process, seamlessly integrating the donor's face and eye onto James as quickly as possible to ensure the best outcome. Dr. Rodriguez and his surgical team of seven and the operating team of 80 transplanted a large part of the donor's face, including the nose, left upper and lower eyelids, left eyebrow, upper and lower lips, 
and underlying skull, cheek, nasal and chin bone segments, with all of the tissues below the right eye, including the underlying muscles, blood vessels and nerves. They also transplanted the whole left eyeball and socket, including the orbital bones and all surrounding eye tissues, including the optic nerve. The team are very happy with the progress of the transplanted eye. Having a viable cornea paired with a retina showing good blood flow five months after the procedure greatly exceeds their original expectations, where they merely hoped that the eye would survive at least 90 days. James has had follow-up surgery to improve how his transplanted face looks and works, and plans to have orthodontic treatment and dental rehabilitation in the coming months. As they have in previous face transplants, the surgical team worked with New York University's advanced 3D media services centre, LaGuardia Studio, to create a 3D printed replacement of the donor's face. This is done to restore the integrity of the donor's identity after the organs are removed from their body, and then returned to the donor's family. Traditionally, a moulded, hand-painted silicone mask has been used. There are few printers in the world like the one at LaGuardia, which prints with 60,000 colours. Following the surgery, James spent just 17 days in the intensive care unit at New York University Langone. He was discharged in July to a nearby apartment. From there, he continued outpatient rehabilitation, including physical, occupational and speech therapy. In September, he returned home to Arkansas with his wife and daughter. James comes back to New York City every month for follow-up appointments. He's been given the option to return to work as a safety manager for high-voltage line workers in the future. James' transplanted left eye does not currently have any sight, but over the last five months, his eye has shown signs of health on various clinical tests. A multidisciplinary team of world-renowned researcher scientists and clinicians, including leaders in neurology, ophthalmology, radiology and neuroradiology, continue to convene and discuss questions that remain related to the eye and ways to measure any indications that some sight might be restored. James will continue to have various clinical tests on the left transplanted eye, including electroretinography, a test that measures the electrical response of the retina to light. The results so far suggest light-detecting cells at the back of his eye in his retina do respond to light. Scans suggest that this signal does make it to the visual cortex at the back of his brain. However, James can't yet perceive those incoming signals, so it's unknown if he'll ever have vision in that eye. Whatever happens next allows the opportunity for various methods to try to enhance the remaining aspects of the retina, whether it's through growth factors, stem cells, or a device that can pick up the signals and then bypass things along the optic nerve pathway. James is very grateful that he's regained many elements of the life he lost after this massive injury in 2021, especially regaining the ability to taste, smell and eat solid foods. He said in a press conference, It feels good. I still don't have any movement in it yet. My eyelid, I can't blink yet, but I'm getting sensation now. I told them, even if I can't see, maybe at least you all can learn something to help the next person. That's how you get started. Hopefully, this opens up a new path.
And finally, from 2002, here's Gina Sartore explaining how we recognise faces. What happens to us when we look at our own faces, apart from wincing, that is? A team of researchers from all sorts of places, including the universities of Tübingen, Oxford and Cambridge, tried to find out what goes on in the brain during face recognition. Their results are published in the January issue of the journal Cognition. Although some of their findings would seem at first glance to fit in the well-duh category of psychological research, quite a big category for psychology, unfortunately, the authors managed to link into some fascinating issues of self-awareness, besides having lots of pretty brain scan images. We already know that humans have very specialised face recognition systems in their brain. So specific, in fact, that even quite a small and localised amount of damage can destroy our ability to recognise faces. The lack of this ability is called prosopagnosia, and you can see it in some cases of Alzheimer's disease, though in this case other abilities tend to go as well, and in some types of tumours, where it might be the only deficit. If you have prosopagnosia, you can train yourself to figure out who people are, at least family members and friends, but you have to do just that, figure it out, using distinctive features such as beards or sticky-out ears, rather than having the instantaneous, holistic experience that most of us have. Over and above, face recognition is self-recognition, which until now hasn't really been studied directly, although we do know that only humans over 18 months and adult great apes seem to be able to do it. Indirect studies of self-image have shown that information about ourselves is processed differently to information about other people. For example, uh, distinct areas of our brain are activated when we listen to autobiographical material or make judgments about our own personality traits as opposed to someone else's. In this new research, the authors tried to study self-image directly by studying brain activation while subjects looked at pictures of themselves and of their partners. To control for the effects of familiarity, overlearning and emotional importance, the pictures were blended with those of strangers using morphing software. So if it was you doing the study, you'd be looking at a set of pictures that were 100% you, 95% you and 5% a stranger, 90% and 10%, 80% and 20% and all the way down to 100% unknown. And you'd look at the same set of combinations of your partner and a stranger. The task was to decide if the picture currently being looked at was most like you or most like a stranger. Well, people's accuracy on this task was scored and their brain activities were recorded using a functional magnetic resonance imaging scan, or fMRI. fMRI is popular among psychologists because it gives very good spatial resolution over fairly short times, so you can see what bit of the brain is active when. The well-duh aspect of this research is that people performed worse the more either their own or their partner's face had been morphed. Big surprise, the more you distort something, the harder it is to recognise. However, the interesting part is that you get a lot more activation and activation of different areas when you look at yourself, even though your partner's face is presumably just as familiar and possibly even more emotionally relevant than your own. For those keen on the neurological nitty-gritty, in self-recognition you seem to get activity in the right limbic system, which deals with emotion generally, and in the left prefrontal cortex and superior temporal cortex. Recognising a partner activates just a small part of the limbic system. 
So looking at yourself and looking at someone very important to you involve quite different areas of the brain, even though both faces should be equally familiar. Well, perhaps one explanation might be that while we are used to trying to pick out the face of someone we know from a group of strangers, it's not something we ever do for our own face, not unless we have a particularly crowded bathroom. However, when we recognise our own identity, we seem to be doing something quite distinct. Our emotions are involved as they are for people we care about, but we also activate areas involved with our personality and our memories of the past. We experience self-awareness. How self-awareness happens, where it came from in our evolution and what particular purpose it serves are questions not answered by the authors or by anyone else. And that's all from us this week on Diffusion. Are you a scientist, artist, biohacker or maker who'd like to be interviewed about your work? Would your company like to sponsor Diffusion? Send your contributions, opinions, helpful suggestions and donations to science at diffusionradio.com. That's science at diffusionradio.com. Please subscribe to the Diffusion Science Radio channel on youtube.com slash c slash diffusionradio and rate the show on iTunes. Tell your friends. Follow me on Twitter at Ian Wolf. The news music was Rhinos Theme by Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com. I produce Diffusion, which is broadcast around Australia to 28 stations on the community radio network, including Radio Blue Mountains 89.1 FM in New South Wales, 8 C in Alice Springs and Tennant Creek, 2 MVR in Nambucca Valley, 3 MBR in the Mallee Border Districts of Victoria and South Australia, City Park Radio 7LTN in Launceston, Tasmania, and 2XXFM in Canberra. Diffusion is narrowcast on Indigo FM 88 in northeast Victoria. Diffusion is syndicated globally on astronomy.fm. Subscribe to the podcast on the Diffusion website, www.diffusionradio.com. That's www.diffusionradio.com. And check the website for links, photos, and videos about this week's show. If you enjoyed the show, you can explore more than a thousand previous episodes archived on diffusionradio.com, where the shows are labeled by keywords so you can focus in on the stories you want to hear. Make a donation through paypal.me slash ianwolf or join my patrons at patreon.com slash diffusionradio. I'm Ian Wolf. Join us inside your audio device of choice for more science wondering next week on Diffusion Science Radio. Science is fun. It helps you to learn, to know and to appreciate. When you study science, you may go on field trips. You discover the marvelous interrelationships between all living things. You learn to read the history of the Earth as it is written in rocks and fossils. You find out what makes things tick. Everything from a molecule to a living organism. In the study of science is found the most useful and satisfying knowledge of man. Knowledge of his physical world, its past, its present, and its future. And in your moments of relaxation, now and in the years to come, you will find the study of science leading you into fascinating pursuits. Photography. Collecting. Why study science? Study science because you will find in the study of science a richer, more rewarding life.